0: I've got an exciting episode for everyone today. This week, I've discovered through the magic of Twitter, the quickest way to a $500,000 income. And we're gonna dive into it right now. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So, if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit you've come to the right place i talk about interesting things i talk to interesting people and i answer your questions every week right here so be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe and let's get to it so um on saturday night and i'm recording this on tuesday morning saturday night i was at my favorite brew pub and i was enjoying a, a nice glass of beer and i was scrolling twitter and i came across uh, it wasn't even someone that i followed it was shared or maybe highlighted to me by the algorithm you know because of the people you follow you might like this and someone was sharing the secret to the fastest way to a half million dollar income and i was like oh that's cool who wouldn't want half a million dollars so i started to read the thread and very quickly realized that there were enormous problems with what this individual was sharing. And um, so I replied to it, well, I'll show you my reply. And then in turn, uh, the author of the thread asked me what I would pay. And so this week's question for our video is coming to us from uh, from Siva Kozinski, um, who has a pretty big Twitter following actually. Uh, if I hover over here, you can see this and I'll, I'll read it uh, for people that are listening to the audio. Um, uh, and he says, I buy beautiful businesses at Enduring.Ventures, tweet about business and investments. He's got 20,400 uh, 20, followers. And the interesting thing about this tweet is that you can see it's been retweeted almost 1,500 times. Um, and 92 people have quoted the tweet and 10,500 people have liked the tweet. So the, the Internet loves the tweet. I've learned from some younger people that the Internet has opinions and uh, the Internet obviously likes this tweet. So I'm going to read the tweet and we're going to go down and I have built a spreadsheet and we're going to unpack and examine all of the different parts of this thread. And we're going to see just whether or not what is being described here is a realistic plan, if it makes sense, and if it's something that you should do. So let's read it. So uh, buying. So, so uh, Mr. Kaczynski says, Buying businesses is the quickest way to cash flow 500000 per year. Here's a five-step process for buying your first business. Highlight the word first. This is important. Okay. It says, number one, Find a business to buy. Here's a landscaping company that looks promising. $2.6 million in revenue with 450 k in normalized EBITDA. 70% of revenues from recurring work. Looks good to me. Now we need to finance it. So let's take a look at this more carefully. I've, I've blown up the image here so we can examine it. And I did go looking online in some of the big online marketplaces and I found this business broker's website, but they didn't have it um, easily demonstrated where they had businesses for sale. So we're just gonna look at the information that was available in the tweet. So uh, the business broker says they have a landscaping service provider in the mid-Atlantic region, below are some of the highlights. And it says the company generates 2.6 million in revenue with 450,000 K in normalized EBITDA. Q1 2021 is 2,000 grand ahead of 2020. So it looks like the trend for last year was to, was growing. It says company provides full service landscape services to primarily commercial and utility clients. Okay. That's important. Approximately 97% of revenue is derived from commercial and utility clients and approximately 3% is residential and connected to a corporate account. So what does that mean? It means that they're doing work for some kind of property management company uh, where they have to do some residential properties or it could mean that they've secured the contract for the local mcdonald's franchisee but in order to get the contract they're mowing his lawn at home for free okay that that's pretty common if this is a lawn mowing business right And, and they're using the word landscaping but let's really dig into this their their biggest customers are utilities hmm um, approximately 70% of revenues are derived from recurring maintenance work. Okay, so that might create the image in your head that the, they're going out and mowing lawns regularly. Um, multi-year contracts with numerous long-term clients, well-known and highly respected name in the marketplace, long-standing relationship with a diversified client base, and maintains a fleet of approximately 20 trucks. Another key fact. So as we go through the thread, I'm going to keep referring back to this listing because we're going to be able to make a couple of uh, uh, assumptions, I guess. Um, I'm leaning heavily on my own experience because I've helped people buy and sell many lawn maintenance, landscaping, and other types of companies that are sort of in this space. And one of the one of the big questions that we need to figure out when it comes to any business is we have to think about the type of machinery and equipment that is involved. So let's get back to the tweet over here, the thread. Um, And he says, so he talks about the the revenue. He talks about the normalized EBITDA 70% of revenues from recurring work looks good to me. Now we need to finance it. So we get down here and he says, let's finance the business. We're going to use an SBA loan. SBA is a government program that helps you start and grow a business in the States, true. Through SBA, you can get outstanding rates of 6.5% over 10 years. Again, great. So he's got a summary here. Revenue, $2.6 EBITDA, 450000 He puts in an EBITDA multiple of 3.5 times. Um, and that was, when we get to my comment, we're going to see what I think of that. And he puts the value of the business at $1.575 And then he says he's going to get an SBA loan of 1.338 million, and then he's going to put in his own investment of 78 thousand. So it was at this point that I started building a spreadsheet, and you can see here I just copied in the information that he had provided uh, because I wanted to follow along in a calculated way, being able to you know use cells in Excel. And you'll notice this SBA loan of 1.33 million is only 85 percent of his of his enterprise value that he says that the business is worth and the personal down payment is 5%. So this only adds up to 90. So that was the first point I was like, huh, this, this doesn't add up. Well, Where's the other 10% of your, of your purchase coming from? Well, let's get back to the Twitter thread. So he says the down payment is $78,750. we will either need to save some cash for the down payment or raise it, the money from friends. Okay. Um, the multiple we're paying is 3.5 times EBITDA, so the purchase price is 1.57 mil. Now we need to structure the deal. So he says, three, structure the deal. Here's what we propose. 60% of cash upfront, 35% seller note paid over five years, and 5% seller note on full standby. So let's let's take a look at this one. No, that's the wrong one. Here, let me let me grow this one out here. There we go. So 60% cash up front, but I thought the SBA loan was for eighty, was for like 85%, right? And now he's saying there's going to be a 35% seller note and a 5% note on full standby. Now, I'm not sure what he means by full standby, but I'm going to assume it's going to be an interest-only note that is fully postponed until the end of all other debts are paid, maybe to have an offset clause or something like that. So that's my assumption. So let's go back to my spreadsheet. So I went in here and I was like, okay, so now we're saying he's going to, um, have 5% cash down a 35% seller note and 5% uh, note on standby. This makes the SBA loan $866,000, not the 1.33, right? Cause this, this adds up to hundred percent, 5% cash down 55%, SBA note payment, 35% seller note, and 5% smaller seller note, right? Um, But that's not what he's talking about. Let's, Let's go back in, oops, let's go back in here. Sorry, very sensitive. So the next tweet says, looking at this model, you'll see we barely have enough cash flow in year one to cover our debt. This means one thing. For the purchase to be successful and less risky, we must grow the business. So... I took a look at this and I was like, again, not quite understanding, because now he's saying the EBIT does 450, but the cash flow is 315. What happened to $135,000, right? It just kind of disappeared. And I wasn't sure what that meant. So back over here at the spreadsheet, um, what I started to do is say, okay, If the $450,000 cash flow is $135,000 short, does that mean he's considering an owner's salary for himself that he's going to take this money out? But in the definition of EBITDA, EBITDA includes the salary of a full-time working owner-operator-manager. So if you're going to buy this business and you're going to be the manager, then that salary should already be included in the EBITDA cash flow, unless what he's calling normalized EBITDA is in reality SDE, seller's discretionary earnings. And I've seen SDE referred to as normalized EBITDA more often in the UK, not in the United States. So, so this was a big question for me that never quite got understood um, addressed because he has not mentioned anywhere in the Twitter thread about where the 135,000 went went to. He just goes from EBITDA to cash flow. So, let's get back into here because the next tweet is the one that reveals what I think is is pretty astounding. So he says, we're going to grow the business. So he's actually admitting under his own calculation that there's not enough cash flow here. And so that the only reason it makes sense to buy this business is if you're going to grow it bigger, Um, which I think is a pretty big presumption. And as we move through here, I'm going to reference other videos that I've recorded that I think um, are pretty important for people to refer to. But um, I have a problem with this. I have a really big problem with this. And and the chief problem is simply that um, when you buy a business with a plan to grow it, that's great. But why would you pay a price based on what you're going to achieve? Should not you be the person that profits from the growth? I mean, you're going to do the work, you're going to make it grow. Uh, so you should be the one that that gets to profit from that, not the seller. Right. And so the the word or the term in, in the world of buying and selling businesses for this kind of thing is called blue sky. So, in fact, I probably forgot to mention this already, but the one of the prerequisites that I think you should watch is I made a video a little while ago and we'll we'll link it up above here. Uh, why SDE is not cash flow, which also talks to this EBITDA thing. So if some of you are confused about the EBITDA, SDE, normalized EBITDA thing, just watch that video. It'll explain it all. So then what he's saying is that we need to grow the business. But he says, luckily, with the deal structure we proposed, we end up with 472500 of working capital. We can use this capital to grow the business, hire talent, buy trucks, and invest in marketing. And I was like, what? where, how do you end up with the working capital, you know, and then I realized what this guy was talking about is he's actually talking about um, the fact that he's going to buy this business with the full SBA loan he originally mentioned, the 1.338 million, and he's going to ask the seller to finance 40% of it as well. So what does that mean? It means that he's actually going to buy this business and he's going to have this full debt service amount here of 316000 which now jives with his cash flow image from, from the Twitter thread. Um, he's essentially going to finance this business with 125% debt. So this harkens back to the period of around 2006 where people were using these ninja mortgages to get jumbo loans with a 24 month ARM. Uh, I I think some of us remember how that went down. Um, But let's just say, and in in my experience, if you buy a business and you use an SBA loan and you have a reason for working capital, like receivables, for example, um, then yes, the banker will make some allowances for working capital and they'll either add it to the SBA 7a term loan, or you'll qualify for some kind of revolving credit facility, which in my opinion is the preferred way. Cause you just, you use the bank's money, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to revolve and to finance your customers through the way of the receivables. So if he were able to actually pull this off, this is what would happen. He'd have a proposed. SBA loan of 1.338 million, his own money of 78,000, total proceeds 1.417. It would end up looking like this for a balance sheet. So you can see the assets is the total of the purchase and the extra cash. So he'd have 2,047,500 of assets on his balance sheet. He'd then have this full SBA loan of 1.338 million. Uh, first seller note of 551000 a second seller note of 78000 for a total of 1.968 in debt, and his equity would still only be 78750 This would create a 25 to 1 debt to equity ratio. Um, banks like 3 to 1 in general, under conventional lending concerns, um, with SBA financing, Under the right circumstances, they will stretch to like nine to one uh, because the government is guaranteeing the note, right? So like, and then he's going to take, let's get back to the Twitter thread. So how is he going to use the $472,000? He's going to use it to grow the business by hiring talent, buying more trucks and investing in marketing, okay? But specifically, he's going to spend time and money to grow the business by networking, creating flyers creating a honeypot and optimizing the website SEO. So he's going to spend the money. Let's look at how it's going to be spent. Number one, he's going to network. He's going to drive to local commercial facilities, talk to managers about their costs and pain points for landscaping and ask questions uh, and ask for their business. So what what does this mean? Costs and pain points, right? So he's going to offer them an opportunity to reduce their costs. So he's going to pay a premium for a business because it has goodwill in the marketplace and it's well known. And then he's going to go out there and become a low cost provider, which is going to threaten what margins this business has. And we're going to talk about its margins later. Um, And he's going to hand out flyers, which are going to have a QR code and a special discount for people who act now and a telephone number that forwards to the cell phone. So this kind of strategy works really well maybe in a residential space where we can have a direct response. But if you go to a commercial company, oftentimes they're going to say, well, we have a contract. Let's go back and look at the listing, which is on this tab. So 70% of revenues are from recurring maintenance work, multi-year contracts with numerous long-term clients. Well, do you think that other people also are in multi-year contracts in this market for the type of work these people do? I think so. Um, long-standing relationship with diversified client base. And again, I'm going to highlight this commercial and utility clients. Utility is key here. OK, um, and only three percent is residential work. So I don't necessarily think that even even if he were to make a really great presentation to someone, I don't think it can result in business immediately. Right. Most of the people he's going to talk to are under contract. <clears throat> Most of the big companies, as far as I know, big commercial entities and utilities especially, have professional purchasing departments. So even the local facilities manager, if he could make a decision to switch providers, is probably going to have to go to the purchasing department. They're probably going to say, well, you can submit a tender for next year when our contract contract is over. Right. So instant direct response growth and sales is likely not how these contracts are won. In my estimation based on my own experience, this company is winning its contracts probably through a tendering process and through dealing with professional purchasers. Professional purchasers in the mind of entrepreneurs should equal one thing. Controlled margins, because just like business owners try to get as much profit as possible, big companies hire professional purchasers to counteract that phenomenon, right? professional purchasers do whatever it takes to make sure costs are lowered within an organization. Um, There was a really great example that happened here about three years ago, um, neighboring province, Nova Scotia. They were repaving a huge stretch of highway. They went out for tender for asphalt and all the quotes that came in were high. Do you know what the supply and service people did, which is the equivalent of government professional purchasers? They went and bought their own asphalt plant in the US and moved it to Nova Scotia and they made their own asphalt. Okay, because they understood what it cost. They had the time to delve into the bids and to learn at what the margins likely were. And they realized we can't accept any of these. We can save a lot of money if we do it ourselves. That's the kind of stuff that professional purchasers do. So number four, um, he's going to make a honeypot, but he's going to open a bar event for two hours. Invite all the property managers in your area, collect business cards and set up one on ones for those who attend later in the week. For a $1,000 bar tab, you filled your sales schedule for the next couple of weeks and created a list of places where you can submit your tender bid for for next season. Probably. Okay. Now, will it result in some work? Uh, It could. 2.6 million of revenue, what percentage growth is this going to is this going to create? Are we going to have a 10% increase in sales? Are you going to be able to do this right now in May when all the landscape contracts have already been initiated for the year and create another $260,000 in revenue for 2022? I don't think so. Relationships have already been established. Any work you're doing now is only going to bear fruit next year. Speaking from my experience in sales, particularly business to business sales. If you are in the residential market, you can convert do it yourselfers. You can get people who don't have contract obligations, etc. But mm, I, I, I hesitate on this. Optimize your website for SEO. Most owners don't understand it. If you're selling to utilities, they're probably not looking for you on a website. Um, you are finding out who makes the purchase decision at the power company and you're going and you're talking to that person. Um, so hire a good SEO firm. So he's going to spend money on that. Um, and to recap network, create flyers, create a honeypot, optimize the website. So let's go back to the spreadsheet because I I want to, I want to uh, highlight this. So if you take the $472,000 and you spend 20% of it on the activities that he's highlighted, what will happen is your cash will decline and it, and it's not going to go into assets that will appear on the balance sheet. The cash will decline and will go into expenses, SEO, bar tabs, printing flyers, labor for a salesman. And what will happen is that all of a sudden the cash will be lower, the debt will still be there. This business will become insolvent within just a couple of months. The entire equity position will be wiped out. Okay. Now, do do I regularly see people go out and figure out how to borrow 125% of the purchase price? No, I don't. I never do. Um, What traditionally happens is that the buyer has some money of their own. They borrow some money from a bank and they get a seller note, which is subject to offsets, which helps them secure um, the fact that you can't do 100% pure due diligence. And I've made all kinds of videos about seller financing and why it's so critical. At the beginning of the Twitter thread, he said, this is how you can buy your first business. I don't believe that's true. You cannot get 125% financing on your first business. But this gentleman is in a different position. Remember, his Twitter profile says that he has a hold co with 14 businesses. And here's the key. Any acquisition that he does, a clever banker is going to figure out how to structure it as an expansion, which means that the bank isn't going to just look at the business he's acquiring. They're going to look at one of the businesses he owns in conjunction with the new business, They're going to combine the balance sheets, combine the cash flow of the two and look at them together. And so he might be able to pull this off, but it's not because of clever structuring, it's because of a strong balance sheet position and good cash flow in another company that he owns, which may create the illusion that he's pulling off 125% financing, where in reality, what the bank is doing is they're financing a combined entity, part of which he already owns. And this is very common in amongst people who talk about buying a business with no money is they'll talk about how they pull off these deals, but they won't get into the nitty gritty of how they already control an entity which is expanding to include the new acquisition in an asset purchase. And so the bankers are looking at an opening balance sheet that includes the existing items of the current company and then adding what's being acquired. A twenty five to one debt to equity ratio is not going to get financed by any banker in my experience. And if you're a banker and you regularly finance these, uh, let me know in the comments because I'd love to have you on the show. All right. So let's get back to the, the back to the Twitter thread. So cash flow by providing high quality service and leveraging the previous growth strategies, your business will succeed. Let's dive into the cash flow projections. And so he says, I'm going to grow the business. And so, not only, you know, I questioned whether you could grow it 10% in one year, he's saying that by the end of 2022, uh, you're going to grow it to $3.38 million in sales. Uh, and then by the end of 23, to 4.3, and the end of 24, to 5.2. So, this is very aggressive. He's going to grow it from a $21,000 cash flow all the way up to $505, right? Um, and he's going to do this all uh, with bar tabs and flyers. So let's close that. And then we're going to scroll down here. And he says, now you can start paying your debt faster. The faster you pay down the debt, the more cash you'll make. And he talks about, you know, because if the money's not going to the bank, it's going to go into your pocket, right? And then he summarizes. Then he says, that's it for now. If you enjoy this thread, uh, please let me know by tweeting and stuff. And I'd like to remind everyone that this tweet thread managed to get 10,500 likes. Okay. So people are excited about this. This is people are on board. They want to do this. So I read this and now recall that I had already finished my first beer at the time. So this is what troll David looks like on a Saturday night. So my response was taxes, question mark, capex, question mark. And at this point, I hadn't done the math. I looked at his $21,000 positive cash flow and I realized. EBITDA does not include taxes. It does include uh, depreciation and amortization, which is the cost of equipment. And we're talking about an equipment intensive business. We're talking about landscape services, right? And I put that price is insane. 3.5 times EBITDA doesn't make sense for a service business with low barriers to entry, saying it's affordable because of growth just makes you complicit in the seller making you pay for blue sky. And then I, I put a link here to a video that I've made before called uh, Pay for Potential, and I'll link it here up above. And I put, why would you pay for work you're going to do? And so (laughs) my comment got 44 likes, right? Just to give you some perspective of, you know, people who are following everyone on Twitter. And so (laughs) let's talk about that. Let's talk about the taxes. Let's talk about the capex, because This is an important part of our conversation. Let's go back to the spreadsheet. So I scroll back over here and then I go down somewhere here. Yeah, I got some more numbers to show you. Whoops. Okay. So we've got this EBITDA of $450,000. And like I said, he shows a cash flow of 315 and, and does not address anywhere about the 135 that goes missing. My guess is that he's confusing EBITDA with SDE or the broker listing added back the owner's salary, meaning that this normalized EBITDA is actually SDE. We don't know, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume that EBITDA is really EBITDA and that already includes a a salary for the owner manager. So if you bought this business, you would take that, that owner manager salary. Okay which is a positive $135,000 to the example that he put in the Twitter thread. So I'm giving him a huge advantage here in my calculations. So we're going to have a normalized EBITDA of 450. And then the debt service is going to be based on his financing structure, which is a full SBA seller note and a 60 month seller note and We're just going to have the standby note be interest only for the period of this uh, demonstration. So that means after his debt service, he's going to have $133,000 in cash flow after he pays his different loans and interest. It's important to know how much of that is interest. Why? Because we also need to pay taxes. If um, you borrow money from the bank, um, you get the money, it's not taxable, it's not income. So when you repay money in a loan, it's also not a taxable thing. So when you are paying a bank loan, the interest portion is ta- is a, a, a tax expense, a tax creditable expense. That's why on a PL or an income statement, interest expense is listed as an item. But the principal portion is not an expense. The principal portion is paid out of your profits. PPPP Principal portion paid from profits, okay, and so as such, we need to know how much of the debt service is interest because the other part of it is subject to taxation. So we've got our interest, and then what? What? What is this capex thing that I mentioned in the tweet? Well, there's another video I want you to watch. It's called David and Warren Buffett duel over depreciation, and it'll help you. It'll help explain some of this for people who don't know. And if you are looking at an EBITDA number, depreciation and amortization have been added back. What are those two things? That's how accountants represent the cost of things wearing out, right? Let's go back to the original listing. Right here. Remember how I said utility was important? And it's a landscaping services provider, and they have 20 trucks. Well, let's think about this. I don't think these guys mow lawns. I really don't. I think those 20 trucks look like this. I think these guys clean away trees from power right of I think they go through communities during the good weather months, and they cut down trees that are kind of like infringing or encroaching on power lines so that when there are storms, hurricanes, et cetera, um, there are fewer power disruptions. And this happens here where I live, because in wintertime, we get a lot of bad winter storms, ice storms, et cetera. So in the summertime, these contractors go through the neighborhood and they follow the power lines. And any trees that are kind of leaning over or branches that are growing too close, they trim them. Right. And and they just move through so that when there's a bad winter storm, there are fewer instances of power outages. Okay, And that's what I think these guys do. And so look at this. This is um, this is treetrader.com. And we can see here this is a this is a 2012 Alltech mounted on a Ford F450. So this is a 10 year old bucket truck, um, still worth fifty thousand dollars, right? And so if these guys have 20 trucks, my guess is that they're not all 10 years old. My guess is that some of them are newer than that. So the fleet of equipment here is a significant value. And trucks depreciate. I know with the recent inflation, used trucks have been going up, but in normally trucks depreciate over time. And every year, this company is probably replacing one or two trucks. So the CapEx is important. Um, I did a little bit of research and I discovered uh, from a source here, this is a a paid thing that I have access to called business reference guide. And the average for the landscaping industry depreciation cost is 3.7%. So that's what I ran with. I said, what if this business had to commit 3.7% of its sales every year to replacing the fleet of equipment that would add up to $96,000, which coincidentally would be buying two of these used 10 year old bucket trucks, not that maybe someone would want to invest in 10 year old used trucks, but that it would match up. So you, this could very well be the CapEx budget of this company. So let's get back and look at the numbers. So if I've got a depreciation or CapEx of 96,200 a year, uh, also um, I forgot to mention, up here under the deal structure he proposed, the EBITDA debt service coverage ratio would be 1.42, which actually would qualify with some lenders. But when we consider the um, total, CapEx, after CapEx, and and I recently had Lisa Forrest on from Live Oak Bank who said that they'd look at EBITDA and they add a maintenance CapEx depreciation type of expense because they wanted to make sure that capital equipment was replaced and maintained. So bankers are keen to this, guys. They understand that equipment wears out. Um, Now our debt service coverage ratio is only 1.12. And now our cash flow before taxes is 368 so, under in the Twitter example, he showed that his cash flow was only going to be $22,000. i have given him an extra $135,000 of advantage, but we're still down to only $36,000. We haven't paid taxes. So, again, I'm assuming that there's already a salary built into that EBITDA for the owner manager. And I'm assuming all the source deductions and taxation under that salary is going to be paid like on a W-2. Okay, so the business activity itself is going to have an income of 159,000. And I went to um, I just assumed we're going to be talking about a flow-through entity like an S-corp or a um, or an LLC. Oh, I've lost my page. There it is. And it said Mid-Atlantic state in the, um, in the listing. So I just, I think I assumed South Carolina, uh, North Carolina. So it just gave here a total income tax for someone who lived in that place. And obviously if somebody had a base W2 and then added this income, their taxes would be even more. So again, I'm erring on the side of advantage, uh, for the story here. So after the tax of 48,000, we would be left with a negative. So, and then I, I put another comment here, watch my video, pay for potential, learn about Blue Sky. We'll, we'll link it again. Uh, maybe we've linked too many videos. I don't know. But um, spend time on my YouTube channel. You'll learn about this stuff. <clears throat> so obviously, if you did this deal from day one, you'd be losing money. You would be underwater and behind. You, in most cases, people who got into this would be cutting their own salary uh, because they They would not want to be falling deeper into debt or getting into lines of credit or using credit cards, right? This would be a really bad situation. And it would be a roll of the dice on whether or not any of the suggested marketing methods in the Twitter thread would work out to grow the business. If you bought a business under these circumstances, you are entirely avoiding the advantages of buying a business. You might as well just take your money and start a business of your own because this business has to act like a high growth startup in order to get out from under the incredible debt that he's suggesting that you take on. The reason you buy a business is because you make a deal to have a successful cash flow from day one that covers everything like an SDE, seller's discretionary earnings that does all these things, provides you with a living income that is a market uh, comparison with what it would be if you worked as an employee in the business number two um, you need to be able to service your debt number three you need to be able to get a return on your cash investment to get your part of your cash back out Um, and return on your equity has to be a lot higher than the overall rate of return on the acquisition of the company Um, and i've made many videos on the difference between roi and roe and how people get confused and, and snooker themselves by that confusion Um, Then you have to be able to pay your taxes and then you also have to be able to do capital reinvestment. Right. So when you buy a business, you need to be able to do those five things out of the cash flow. And if you can't, it's not a sensible deal. I quite literally have told many, many people I would rather see them leave their life savings in a bank, even losing money against inflation. And if you read headlines about Warren Buffett, he's sitting on like a billion dollars right now, even though he knows about inflation because he'd rather lose money against inflation than risk the capital, right? He wants a winning a winning investment and I want a winning investment for you too. So I've told people, leave your money in the bank and go get a job somewhere. Don't do a dumb deal. You, you need to do a deal that's going to make money for, for you from day one or else it doesn't make sense to do the deal. So let's get back to the Twitter thread. So I troll commented. That's what I said. Now let's look at what people replied to me with. And so we're going to skip him for a minute. We'll go back to him. Um, And then here's Gina says exactly. I've been trying to buy a business for a long time. But in my industry, this is what I keep running into. Sellers not willing to sell what the business is actually worth, but attempting to sell for potential. I will not pay cold hard cash for potential. Good, Gina. Um, Siva says, keep looking. You'll find one priced right. Well, not if she's looking in the wrong place right? And so this is why in my group coaching program, Business Buyer Adventure, so much time is spent on deal flow, not necessarily with a broker channel, because the reason sellers go to brokers is because they want the brokers to create competition between buyers to drive up the price. The best deals are not often had through a broker channel. Or you become a known commodity to the brokers where they know that you're a good buyer, you can execute, you can do deals, and they'll bring you motivated sellers immediately before they even advertise them online. So someone like Mr. Kozinski, who has multiple companies in his hold co, he's probably got that kind of reputation with some brokers where they're bringing him deals before they ever get onto the online marketplaces. And so he may get an opportunity to buy things at a reasonable price where Gina, for example, here does not. Um, And then one person says, it's just an example. Um, And then this person says, honest to God, borrowing money from your friends and blowing it all on. Yeah, I can't read that online. Um, And then here's somebody, Makusu San, who says, as a banker, I agree this process um, doesn't make sense. Uh, Of course, on Twitter, there's lots of colorful language. But what Mr. Kaczynski says to me in response to my quote, is sorry, not super clear. What would you like to pay for this landscaping business? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's question that I'm going to answer next. So let's go back over to the spreadsheet. So let's scroll down. What would David like to pay? And I've got a few comments here. Do, do, do. And some things have moved. Sorry. Okay. So... Steve asks, what would David like to pay? And my answer is, it depends to a great extent on the plant and equipment. In any business like this, you need to know the actual CapEx schedule, what needs to be put out, not rely on averages like we did with the depreciation. So if I was gonna be actually buying this business, uh, I might make an offer subject to due diligence, of course, But in the due diligence, I would be having every piece of equipment looked at and I would build an actual CapEx replacement schedule going off into the future to know what the expenditures were gonna be. And then I would either make a plan to spend that money in the future and I would take that out of the cash flow, oops, or I would use the the method I explained in the um, David and Warren Buffett dual over depreciation video. And I would use the leasing tool method where I would just assume certain pieces of equipment were going to be leased, and I would use the lease, lease payments. Um, because many sellers who plan to exit will stop reinvesting, and they'll allow their fleet to age so that they can create more cash flow for themselves in a the, in the couple of years leading up to their proposed sale date. You don't want to be caught by that because what ends up happening is you end up catching this big deferred revenue, deferred maintenance uh, and maintenance and CapEx replacement expense. I wouldn't want to have a lower than a dscr of two <clears throat> of ebit not ebitda because this is a capital intensive business right if we assume these are bucket trucks and they're worth 50 grand each at 10 years old it means that at a minimum the capital fleet here is worth a million dollars so that means my debt service budget on this acquisition would be one hundred seventy-seven thousand, roughly right i then did a little bit of research so I went into some paid online databases. I looked at IBA appraiser data. I looked at BizComp's data and I also looked at deal stat data and I would like to put them on the screen, but I believe the terms of service prevent me from publicly sharing things like that, which they're paid databases. So, so I, I'm going to explain to you what I saw. <clears throat> I saw that in a lot of these businesses, as the earnings EBITDA and SDE numbers went down, the multiple went up. So the lower the EBITDA number went, the higher the EBITDA multiplier went, which is counterintuitive. Why would someone pay more for a business that has a lower cash flow? Well, a few months ago, a good friend of mine online here, Mike Finger, put a comment about cafes selling for eight times discretionary cash flow. And he said that it was unrealistic. And I responded it's not unrealistic all you have to have is an espresso machine worth eight times what the SD, sde of the business is meaning that if the earnings are low enough <clears throat> the equipment value becomes the main point of consideration for buyers not the cash flow because they're not really buying the business as cash flow they're just buying the equipment right and so that's what was being confirmed with to me in these databases is that there was a certain minimum price that these businesses was hitting. Now, if you looked at that database and you didn't understand that phenomenon, if you didn't consider the value of the equipment, you would believe that these businesses are actually selling for 3.5 times their cash flow. And they don't. They're selling at a price related to the equipment value. So they're really, they're going as a bulk liquidation of equipment along with the customers, right? So, when I started to look at this and I just backed up and I said, OK, if I was going to buy a service business that had a high capital cost of, of entry, what sort of ballpark numbers would I be looking at? And I thought about all the excavation companies that i have helped people buy and sell. I thought about other landscaping businesses that have helped people buy or sell. I thought about businesses like grocery stores, which are also capital intensive with all the shelving and the display coolers and, and all the leaseholds, et cetera. And I thought, let's just use some general ballpark numbers here. So i said about 40% of revenue, about 2.2 times SDE or about three times EBIT. And so you can see here in my calculations, that gives me just over a million, according to the revenue, about 1.2 million, according to SDE, and just over a million again for EBIT, for the multiple of EBIT. So I just put a round figure of 1.1 million. So at $1.1 here's my purchase formula. Um, If a buyer put 10% down and then got an SBA loan or just a conventional equipment loan from a bank, because there's a ton of equipment here. If you got a conventional loan for half that price, another $550,000, and a seller note for 40% of that for $440,000, what would that do? Our debt service total would be $178,000 which is pretty close to the $177,000 budget that I had proposed, okay? So with $450,000, uh, and if I go back up here, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't do the cash flow illustration, but if we have $450,000 of EBITDA minus $100,000 of CapEx, so let's say three hundred fifty minus dollars minus $178,000, um, that leaves us with... Um, 350 minus 178, you know, a little over 130. So then you're gonna pay your taxes out of that and have close to $100,000 income for yourself. That's a deal that makes sense, okay? That's a deal that makes sense. So then I'm gonna tell you this, here's why this seller will not accept this offer. Because if I owned this business, I wouldn't accept this offer, would you? To walk away with $650,000 of money and a note for $440,000 subject to offsets, when i've got equipment worth a million bucks no because the equipment is likely worth more than 1.1 million this is an example of a business that likely has negative equity the the person who owns this business has invested more in plant and equipment than the cash flow would dictate how does that happen how does it happen i tell you it happens all the time i see it all the time this business if they don't find somebody ill-informed enough to pay their asking price, this business will end up simply liquidating. They'll call an auctioneer, they'll send the trucks to Ritchie Brothers or to a dealer, and they'll just liquidate all the equipment. There's another video here which is very important called Dead Capital in a Business. And it's where I explain how this phenomenon happens, how business owners keep reinvesting, 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 thinking that they're building something of value, not realizing that it's the cash flow that determines the value. If a lot of these business owners looked at their business from the point of view of the way a buyer would and looked at the value of the cash flow, they would realize that some of these reinvestments in plant and equipment don't make any sense. How can the business not have sufficient cash flow to warrant the investment? Let's go back over here. Remember this, right? Where's my magical word here? Utility clients. For most businesses I've ever worked with um, who were involved in any way, here, I'm going to make myself bigger. For most uh, businesses that I've been involved with who have worked in any way in some kind of construction or subcontractor role or doing sort of of work, this company probably charges an hourly rate for a truck with crew for the utility company to do this maintenance of of -of right-of-ways. Um, Anytime I've ever worked with any of these companies, they're bidding and because they're bidding and because there are professional purchasers on the other side who know what stuff costs, they have difficulty increasing their margins. And every time somebody goes and buys one of these trucks at the Ritchie Brothers auction with the idea that they're going to get into this business, they go right down and they just say, hey, I'm going to help you solve your cost problem. Remember that comment? Let's go find that. Let's go find that comment. Because if I back up here, Mr. Kaczynski actually said that he's going to go and talk to property managers about their maintenance and cost, talk to managers about their cost and pain points for landscaping. And that's what the buyers of trucks at auctions are going to do they're saying i'm going to get into this business i'm going to buy this truck cheap and i'm going to go and the purchaser over at the utility is going to tell them what their rate is he's going to say or she's going to say your rate is x per hour and we'll we'll hire you on this season and that's why the cash flow will never be worth enough because they don't have the ability to create a high margin business Versus a company that goes and mows lawns. You can employ all kinds of marketing strategies, sales tactics, et cetera, to impress a homeowner and and you know have them create an opinion in their mind that you do a better quality service. So it's worth paying you a little bit more than the other guy. That's true goodwill built up into a brand. Let's go back here to the listing once again well-known and highly respected name in the bargain place long-standing relationship with diversified client base well so they're well known and they're established that's great but this is not where goodwill is generated goodwill for those of you who are new is the difference between the market value of a cash flow and the tangible value of assets so if i believe this business is worth 1.1 million that's what i'm willing to pay let's say that's a true fact it's worth 1.1 If the trucks are worth more than 1.1, it means the business has no goodwill. If they're worth more than 1.1, it's got negative goodwill. The trucks have to be sold at a discount in order for it to make sense for a buyer. Right. So how do you create goodwill? Let's look at a great example. I already mentioned Warren Buffett. He invested in Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola sells fizzy sugar water with flavor, and they sell it at two to three times what the store brand sells for next to it. But people still reach for the red labeled bottle. Why? because people perceive it to be of greater value. It's both products, the store brand and the Coca-Cola are both fizzy sugar water with flavor, right? Why is Coca-Cola able to get that price? Because they really have value in their brand name and reputation and goodwill. People are willing to pay. That's what creates the goodwill. This business doesn't have that opportunity. This business is in a tendered trade. So, if if you, if you're new to this, and and maybe I'll get some new viewers after creating this. I went a little bit longer than I thought. Um, I highly recommend if anyone wants to get into buying a business that you you head over to businessbuyeradvantage.com. It's where you'll find um, be able to sign up for my online course, and you'll be able to sign uh, business buyer advantage, and you'll be able to learn more about my group coaching program, business buyer adventure. Um, please share this message if you're one of the ten thousand people who liked this thread um be careful what you read i mean there are people online who will look at this thread and and believe it's real because ten thousand five hundred people liked it because the internet agrees that it's a good strategy very few people get down into the comments and a lot of people would see my comment and dismiss it because it only has 48 likes um and you know my apologies and thank you, Mr. Kaczynski for for asking me the question, because I think it's we need to take a cold, hard look at some of these things uh, because a lot of stuff out there on the internet creates a lot of hype and excitement and this cheerleading kind of atmosphere around the idea that, you know, buying a business is a, is a can't lose scenario where it's a slam dunk for easy wealth. And a lot of people, are detouring themselves from time and effort spent developing on themselves, learning real skills because they're chasing this dream. You know, I've been in this business since 2007, 2008, helping people buy businesses. And the most common sort of um, sketch of someone that I help buy a business is a person who's middle-aged, who's got experience, management experience, who has money saved up, equity, home equity, good credit, et cetera. And they come to the game with resources and management ability and skills. And increasingly what I'm seeing in the marketplace are these very young people who just got out of university who believe they're going to go down this path of pulling off a deal sometimes with none of their own money, pooling together investors and all this other kind of stuff and I'm seeing a lot of them making noise. I'm seeing a lot of them having discussions and I'm seeing a lot of them, you know, going through the paces, but I have yet to run into a lot of them who've executed. And, and if you're young, develop yourself, spend some time in the trenches, work for someone else, give yourself a chance to make mistakes while you run someone else's company before you end up trying to do a deal potentially putting yourself into a poor situation without resources to fall back on um, and really shooting yourself in the foot. And with that, we'll say see you later. And if you enjoyed this video, please give it a thumbs up. And if you think someone else could benefit from this message, please share it, share it on other media, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, share it on LinkedIn. And with that, I'll say see you later. Thanks for joining me. I know it was a long one. We'll talk to you soon. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there all for free. And I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous just like me with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. Jeffalpa.com Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.